We're continuing our series in the commands of Christ and this morning we're looking at being uh, peacemakers. I was going to use a lot of examples from my family but my daughter and her husband and three of my grandkids are here so I won't talk too much about them, uh, about myself and my relationship with them. But the main thing that used to happen was if I left the mic on when I was singing up front, I would cop it when I got home. Or I'd be reminded that I always come in too soon in the brackets between lines. I would start singing before everybody else. So uh, they would always remind me of those things. But this morning uh, we're looking at what it means uh, to be uh, peacemakers. And particularly in families it's something that's very relevant. Uh, Families often have conflict uh, over money is one of the big issues. Parents maybe with children... With his family businesses, there often can be conflict um, that uh, arises from those things. There's issues around in-laws and dealing with uh, in-laws, mother-in-laws, father-in-laws, children-in-laws, if there's such a thing. Uh, All those things, they can be issues of conflict. Over family events, sibling conflict, uh, over care of an elderly parent... Uh, step-parent, step-child issues or where there's been a divorce, there can often be ongoing conflict about how the children are educated or the kind of things that happen. But also in churches, in terms of um, the need to be peacemakers, churches can be a place, sadly, and should not be, a place where there's unhealthy, and I add that word, unhealthy conflict. 25% 25% of churches, this is some, some American statistics, 25% of churches experience conflict uh, in the last two years. 1,500 pastors leave their church every month. Only one in 20 pastors serve as pastors until retirement. Every year, more than 19,000 congregations experience major conflict. And during the last five years, 75% of churches in America have experienced conflict, 25% of which indicate the conflict was severe enough to permanently impact church life. And it's something that where we worship the Prince of Peace, where there should be peace. And what I'm sharing today are things which I think can prevent much of unhealthy uh, conflict. Ministry magazine uh, talked about there can be healthy conflict in churches. We want to acknowledge that as well. And we'll uh, touch on that as we uh, go through this morning at the four key things that I'm there's so much I could say and that the gospel brings to us about how to deal with conflict. Um, but this morning uh, I'll focus on just uh, four key things. And Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And in Paul, in Romans 12, 18, he says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, it doesn't mean someone else might continue to uh, be in conflict with you, but as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And before we talk about how we can do that, let's pause for a moment and just look at what peace is. And the first thing I want to say is that um, peace is not just uh, the absence of conflict. Peace is where the presence of the wholeness and the fullness that God intended in relationships. Just because there's no external conflict doesn't mean that, um, that peace is present. The, Jew, the Hebrew word uh, for peace is shalom. And it speaks of the fullness of everything God intended for every human being. It's not just because everything's there's, there's, there's very little conflict in North Korea, but I wouldn't want to live there. 
and uh, just a sheer fear keeps people from fighting each other, and, but it's not a place that I would want to be. But where there's shalom, the wholeness, the fullness of what God intended uh, for every human being, harmony in relationships, well-being for all, justice is being done, then that is what peace is when those things are manifested. And I want to say too that there's a difference between being a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. And I want to confess, sadly, and I'm going to call it a sin, to be a peacekeeper can actually be sinful. It's actually hoping that problems will go away. It's not being, it's avoiding speaking up about issues. It's just closing your eyes and just not facing the issues that are there. There's an elephant in the room, but you just hope that things uh, will turn out all right. Jesus has called us to be peacemakers, not just peacekeepers who close our eyes to what's going on and hope that things will stay calm and that the waters won't get too rough. We are called to be peacemakers and what we're looking at uh, will uh, help us to know how we can be peacemakers and not just uh, be uh, peacekeepers where we hope things will stay, uh, that things will uh, just be calm and that things won't get any worse. In Isaiah 32, uh, sorry, in Isaiah 9 verse 6, it says, a key verse around our Christmas season, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And as we look to who Jesus is and what he's done, we can see how we, as God's people, and the principles apply for anybody, but as God's people particularly, we should be a light to the world of how uh, to be peacemakers. And the key to being a peacemaker is to become like the Prince of Peace, Christ himself, and be, uh, if you like, imitating his character, his life, his attitude, and the way that he uh, dealt with the conflict that existed between us and God. We were God's enemies. God in Christ came and brought peace between us and God. And what Jesus has done, it gives us clear direction about how we can be people of of peace and be peacemakers. Colossians 1, 21 and 23 through to 23 says, Once you were alienated, um, and we all know that feeling between other people, we know when we feel alienated from others, God felt in heaven, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now he, meaning Christ, has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to uh, present you holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation. God in Christ saw the conflict between us and God and he came and did what was uh, necessary for peace between us and God. And what I'm saying this morning, I hope President Trump is listening, I hope Mike Pence is listening, I hope Joe Biden is listening, I hope, uh, not because I've got a massive ego or think that I'm somebody who should be listened to, because I have confidence in the gospel, I have confidence in the word of God, I have confidence in who Jesus is as a Prince of Peace, Um, and if uh, all of America, all of Australia... If all the world would listen to who Jesus is and listen to who, uh, uh, what God is saying about being a peacemaker, then we will have peace in our countries, we'll have peace in our homes, we'll have peace in our churches. And the first thing which confronts us all and confronts all people 
is that God, in seeking to make peace between us and himself, came to us in humility. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He could have came and just whacked us around the head with a piece of four by two and just sorted us out and told us to behave ourselves. But God in Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, in seeking to make peace between us and God, he came to us with great humility. We all know the story in Luke 2 where the angels appeared to shepherds, speaking of the Prince of Peace, the Saviour who was coming, the Saviour who is present with us. It says, this will be a sign to you. This is a sign that a peacemaker has arrived. This will be, you will find a baby wrapped in, uh, in, clo- in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, in a cow shed, born of humble parents, a carpenter, a virgin mother who was uh, pregnant and a... Uh, And Joseph wanted to put her aside just to maintain his or her reputation in humble circumstances uh, that uh, um, God in Christ approaches and comes to us to be the peacemaker of, of in our relationship with God, but offering peace to all those who would receive him. It says, uh, goes on to say, as the shepherd spoke, it says, the, glory, uh, the, the angels were singing glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom God's favour rests. God in Christ came in humble, humble with humility in humble circumstances uh, to be a peacemaker. And for us, if we are going to be peacemakers, we need to be a humble presence in a, in a place of conflict. One of the key things, uh, one of the things I learned as through the years as a pastor is that, or any leader, the key to being a good leader is to be a calming presence in the midst of conflict. And that's uh, something that applies in all relationships, that we would have the humility uh, to be a calming presence. And the whole issue of humility is something that it comes through uh, in Romans 12, 3. Uh, says, uh, Paul says, For by the grace given me I say to every one of you, Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. And in Romans 12.10 it says, Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. And then, uh, um, yeah, and then uh, talking to pastors as if if we ever have to deal with... uh, someone who's uh, dishonouring the gospel by their behaviour and in blatant ongoing sin. It says, brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any sin, you who are spiritual, so it's not just pastors, elders, each of you here this morning, anyone who is spiritual, that is you who are responsive to the guidance of the Spirit, are to restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness, not with a sense of superiority or self-righteousness, keeping a watchful eye on yourself so that you are not tempted as well. Dealing with conflict requires, first and foremost, to have that humility and grace as you come to speak to people about an issue, to confront an issue. Humility is foundational to being a peacemaker. Secondly, as we come with that attitude and without uh, the foundation of humility, the next point will just blow things apart and make it a whole lot worse, is with humility and grace, you need to speak the truth. Name the real issue. Don't sidestep it. Don't be a peacekeeper. Be a peacemaker. Speak up for what is true in the situation. Name the issue. Name the elephant in the room. And if you don't do that, uh, then there won't be any lasting peace. God in Christ saw that the issue for us 
in our alienation and, if you like, conflict with our Heavenly Father was the issue of sin. God knew that that was the issue. Jesus spoke about it. He confronted people about it. He confronts us about it because he knows that that's the key issue that needs to be dealt with to restore our relationship with God. And the way Jesus did that, often he helped, uh, helped those in that we have the record in Scripture of Jesus' interaction with people who had issues about their relationship with God, and there are many. Uh, he asked a lot of questions. Someone has uh, counted them up and some of them are repeated. There's two or three hundred questions throughout the Gospels. Now, if you take there's four Gospels and some of them are repeated, there's still a lot of questions. When Jesus was confronted by people who wanted to uh, uh, catch him out and have a reason to uh, um, discredit him and even ultimately to crucify him, would come with their questions and Jesus would often ask questions and his questions would unnerve realign and transform and subvert all the old assumptions and loyalties that people had when they came to Jesus. He would ask a piercing question that would cause a person to rethink their situation and with grace and humility to ask questions in ways that help reveal the real issue is better than, uh, is, a, is, a, is a way of beginning to reveal what the real issues are. With the rich young ruler, uh, Jesus um, was try- he came to uh, find out what he must do to have eternal life. He, taught, he, he was confident, he had kept all the commandments, he had done all that he thought he should and he probably was trying to trick Jesus as well. Um, but uh, uh, Jesus said, to, uh, he said uh, to, te- to Jesus, he said, Teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth and looking at him, Jesus showed love to him and said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But he was deeply dismayed by these words and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. God drove, cut to the heart of what that man's issue was. For him, uh, that was something that he worshipped beyond uh, his willingness to worship God. And so Jesus cut to the heart and spoke the truth and revealed the real issue uh, for him. For the woman at the well who Jesus, as a peacemaker, she was a Samaritan woman. The Jews and Samaritans were sworn enemies, both religiously and politically. Jesus shouldn't have been talking to her. He was there, sitting at the well with her, having a conversation, listening to her life story. Being a peacemaker is listening to the story of the person who you might be, who you might think is your enemy, who's out to get you. Pause for a moment. Have the humility and grace to listen to the story of what uh, the person you're in conflict with, to hear what they're saying, how the, how the world looks to them and what's happened uh, to them. But again, Jesus uh, probed to the depths of the issue for this woman as she told her story, uh, as she... Uh, poured out uh, her situation to him. Jesus almost left field, said, go call your husband and come back. He was probably, he knew that uh, she had multiple husbands and he didn't have to find out, but he just said, go and call your husband. And then she began to pour out that she, she, uh, the person she was, uh, um, she'd had several husbands and uh, the, Jesus had brought out the reality of the issue for her. 
that as he spoke to her, he revealed that he knew everything about her. He understood her. He knew her situation. And then she began, to, as she, her eyes were opened, she realized that Jesus indeed was the peacemaker, the Messiah they'd been looking for, and she ran and told the whole village that the Messiah was present. But Jesus cut to the heart of the issue, and we too, if we are to be peacemakers, need to be willing to speak uh, the truth. But you might wonder, and it's a verse that troubled some people and it troubled me for many years, Matthew 10, 34, it says, uh, Jesus said, I do not think that I came uh, to bring peace upon earth. I, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And you'll be saying, Robin, why the crazy are you bringing that verse in when you're preaching about peace? Well, the reason I'm bringing it is, is because, one, Jesus wasn't uh, legitimising war. He wasn't legitimising violence. He wasn't saying there's a time and a place to take up uh, a physical sword. But I believe, as Dave preached, uh, the light and darkness, how the kingdom breaks in and it confronts the evil of the world and the evil in your heart and my heart. When Jesus speaks... If you like, it brings a sword, it cuts to the depths of your heart. Remember the verse in, uh, it talks about the word of God being like a sword cutting to the very uh, depths of your being. Then Jesus is really, I think, saying in this verse that um, in that sense, he will speak the truth even at great cost and, uh, and cut to the heart of an issue and that he wouldn't avoid and just hope that everything will be lovely if he doesn't raise issues that need to be raised. I want to use an extreme example of speaking the truth and naming a problem uh, in particularly perhaps in a marriage where domestic violence is happening. A graphic example that illustrates a principle that needs to be applied even in minor conflicts. Com in, in minor conflicts. I'm going to say don't be a peacekeeper. A wife who is a peacekeeper where there's domestic violence will just keep hoping that her husband will change. We'll just keep hoping if she's a better wife, then her husband will be a better husband. And uh, if she does what he says, he'll, the, the conflict will go away. But I want to suggest to you, that's being a peacekeeper. You need to be a peacemaker and name the issue. Name the evil that is happening. Tell your husband, you cannot emotionally manipulate me, be violent toward me or verbally abuse me. And... And say what needs to happen. Get help or get out. Say what needs to be done. Speak the truth about what's happening. Say what needs to be ha take place. And you'll, if there is any chance of peace, then it will come when you name what's going on. I've dealt a couple of few times with where there's been an affair in a marriage. The first thing I say, uh, it's been usually a wife that comes to me, said her husband's uh, playing around on the side and... She's usually devastated. And the first thing I say to her is, I give her the name of a good lawyer. I say, you find out where you stand. I said, get a good accountant, find out where you stand economically. Go to your husband and say to him, I know where I stand. I know what the situation is. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You need to do something about this situation. Two of the marriages where I've done that have survived because the, spooth, the truth was spoken the reality of action that needed to take place was spoken and the end result is peace. A wife, there's wives, I've heard crazy stories of doing all sorts of things that you would never dream of, hoping that they'll please their husband. Speak the truth, say what needs to be said and say what needs to happen. Proverbs 
10.10 says, People who wink at wrong cause trouble, but a bold reproof promotes peace. We need to be peacemakers, not only acknowledge wrongdoings um, in, in an effort to maintain peace, but they're actually winking at, if you're just a peacekeeper, you're winking at evil. You're just hoping it'll go away. So be humble as you do this. Speak the truth that needs to be spoken. And then it's very clear, and Jesus is in dealing with our relationship with him. We need to do justice. Where there's no justice, there's no peace. Jesus, in going to the cross... They need it without the shedding of blood. There is no remission of sin. Jesus going to the cross was doing justice in the courts of heaven that we might be reconciled to God. He did what had to be done uh, to bring us back into uh, a relationship with God. Do what is just. Ensure that justice is done. In Hebrews 10, verse 12 to 14, it talks about uh, the offering that Jesus made on our behalf but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sacrificed Jesus did justice in the courts of heaven that we could be reconciled to God and we too need to do justice in our daily lives if we want uh, harmony in our marriages, harmony in churches, harmony in our nation and harmony between nations. Justice must be done just as it needed to be done in the courts of heaven. It's reminding us that justice is doing what is in the mentioned shalom, wholeness, fullness, is doing what is fair and right and good for every human being. Not just for you, not just for your family, not just for our church, not just for our nation, but for all nations. That we would be people who treat everybody as human beings created in the image of God. And on that basis, we treat them just like uh, we would uh, treat ourselves. Love your neighbour just as you love yourself. The things you would do for yourself, you need, Jesus says, a very strong confronting words you need to do uh, for your neighbour. And, um, and one of the things that uh, I've talked to the elders about and uh, one of the things is uh, we haven't formally met but there's people who have passions for different aspects of justice. Jude and others amongst us have a passion for justice for the unborn and so we speak up for that because it's a, a vital issue that we believe in God's eyes is evil and wrong and so we speak up about that. But as Christians, we need to speak up about all issues of justice, where there's uh, justice for the poor. We have the tier catalogues where locals in their community are being funded to help people out of poverty. In our wealth, Australians are the most uh, affluent people in the world um, in terms of all the government support and our land and property ownership and all the different aspects of wealth we have. We can share and help there to be justice for people in poverty who through no fault of their own uh, need help uh, to, to have the shalom and the wholeness that God intended for them. 
We want to have a group of people who speak up for justice for the unborn, justice for the poor, justice for the refugee. There's families still on Christmas Island who don't need to be there. It won't affect our national security if we let them out. They've been there for five years. As Christians, if we are concerned about justice, we should speak up for them, that they might have the shalom and the goodness and the wholeness of what God intends for them. We want to speak up uh, for uh, caring for God's world, that when we... When we don't care for creation, we suffer the consequences, and that's obvious to all of us. We need to be, have a voice in all these areas. And Jesus is one uh, who spoke up in our daily lives. We need to seek justice in the day-to-day affairs of our living if we are to be peacemakers. Jesus saw the woman dragged before uh, the courts. The religious leaders were... Uh, saying this woman's been caught in the act of adultery. Um, uh, What should we do? They they were trying to catch Jesus out. And Jesus again, in this point, he saw the injustice. People who were probably also adulterers were dragging this woman before the courts to be sorted out and receive her punishment. And he just, again, cut to the heart of the issue. He did and pointed to what was just and right in that situation and just said, he or she who is without sin, you cast the first stone. And there's a reminder for all of us as Christians. We are called to be uh, strong with each other in the life of the church, but not to judge those outside the church. Read 1 Corinthians 5. Have a good read of the, the end of the chapter. That we won't be seen as those who have no understanding of the injustices that some people are, are facing. Jesus said uh, to the Pharisees, who weren't caring for their parents. Um, he, uh, he said to them, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill and cumin, but you neglect the more important matters of law, justice, mercy and faithfulness. God calls us as his people. We can be faithful in tithing to the church, but are we speaking up for the issues of justice that are on God's heart? Are we speaking up for those things for our neighbour, for our family members who are being treated unjustly. And God calls us uh, to do that, just as he spoke to the Pharisees. And we need to see justice done uh, in, in the nations as well. Israel was a nation who, due to the injustices happening within their country, uh, as um, in the Old Testament, they weren't caring for the orphan and the widow and the alien and stranger or refugee that came to them. They weren't caring for those things. Five gener- four or five generations, God's, the prophets were saying, you need to put this, sort this out, um, otherwise you'll be under my discipline. And eventually they were exiled and driven out of the land because there was injustice in their country. And so too with any nation today, America, Australia, uh, Russia doesn't matter what the country is, where we don't practice the things that bring about wholeness and shalom for all people, then God's judgment is on uh, those nations. Remember the Arab Spring where there was a whole revolution that rose up across particularly five, uh, five nations, um, Libya, Egypt, Yemen, Syria and Bahrain. There was a massive rev- uh, revolt by the people. The reason that happened was because they were, oil, they were rich countries where the leaders, or Gaddafi is one name that might come to mind for you, he, kept, he just kept all the riches for himself. He didn't build schools and hospitals and roads and care for people in poverty. He just 
gathered wealth for himself and people get to the point where they just rise up. Uh, They've got nothing to lose by rising up. Where there's no justice, there is no peace in our lives or in the lives uh, of of nations. And finally, um, we need, if we seek, humbly speak the truth, humbly do justice and speak up for justice, we also, if we want to see peace, there must be forgiveness. God forgives, and that's based on the justice that's done by Christ's death on the cross. And he can say to us that all your sins are forgiven. In Hebrews 10, having talked about the once-for-all sacrifice, it says the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I'll make with them, speaking of the sacrifice that Christ had made, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts. It's in our hearts to do these things that I'm talking about, if we have the Holy Spirit, um, and write them on our minds. And then he adds, I'll remember their sins and their lawless deeds against them no more. Amazing forgiveness. For where, for there is forgiveness for these, uh, there is no longer any offering for sin. Once forgiveness takes place, peace uh, will reign. Peace reigns between us and God because of what Christ has done and because uh, we've responded to that act of grace and love that he has uh, done on our behalf. But when justice is done, forgiveness must flow. All these things need, they're not siloed and separate. They need uh, to flow together. Psalm 85 verse 10, steadfast laugh, Love and truth and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness or justice and peace need to kiss each other. They come together as one whole expression of what love is as God to us and us to those around us. Bishop Desmond Tutu wrote a book, No Future Without Forgiveness. After the incredible conflict between uh, the apartheid, uh, the black South Africans and the white South Africans predominantly, huge conflict. Uh, The only thing that I think, and it's an imperfect, there's always carried out by imperfect people, but he set up the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and listen to the principles that are part of what he set up is that if those, whether they were white South African police who had committed huge atrocities and uh, burnt and just, I must remember, kids are in here, um, they'd committed huge atrocities. Also, the ANC had committed huge atrocities. And the only way forward that Bishop Desmond Tutu said that there could be any avoiding of a civil war was to have the Truth and Reconciliation Commission where those who had committed atrocities on either side could fully confess what they'd done, name the victim, name what they'd done, where the victim was, however terrible it was, tell the victim's family what they'd done. And if they fully confessed everything that they had done, then they were exempt from being pursued by the courts in the new South Africa. What does that sound like? When we fully confess our sins before God, God no longer pursues us in the courts of heaven because we fully confess and name uh, what, uh, what, what we've done. We own it when we recognise it, when the Holy Spirit, as Dave said, it's a lifelong journey of continual repentance, acknowledging the things that we've done. And so uh, where uh, justice has been done, forgiveness needs to flow both in personal relationships and in nations and communities as well. Be a peacemaker. We need to be people who experience uh, 
the incredible peace and wholeness that God brings us in the person of Jesus. Without uh, experiencing God's grace, we will not have the power to do the kind of things that I'm talking about this morning. One must first have a profound experience of the shalom and the wholeness and the peace of God. No one can become a peacemaker until they've found peace within yourself. We cannot give what is not real to us. Peacemaking begins with an experience of peace in our own hearts. When you're at peace with God, you will die for your neighbour. When you're at peace with God, you will, put, you will speak the truth in your marriage that needs to be spoken because you have the confidence and the peace and the strength of God. In relationships in the church, when you're at peace in your own heart, you will, you will have the courage and the, to speak up in the life of the church for things that need to change for the sake of the church being a healthy place. Not a bunch of peacekeepers, but a bunch of peacemakers who do the kind of things that we're talking about this morning. I finish by saying, as I say, be humble. If you want to be a peacemaker, be humble. Speak the truth. Do justice. Be forgiving. And as we do those things in the power of the Holy Spirit, we will be peacemakers in our families, in our friendships, in our workplace, in the church, in our nation, and even between nations. And I'd like to finish by letting God's word speak to us in Romans 12, 9 to 21. It says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. The verse I read earlier, if it is possible as far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, dear my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let me pray as I finish. Father, we thank you that you are the Prince of Peace. In what you've done for us to bring us back into a harmony and relationship with you, to deal with the conflict uh, between us and you, Father, you show us the way. The gospel speaks to us not only of our eternal salvation and relationship with you, but it speaks to us of how to be at peace with each other in our families, in our churches, in our nation and between nations. And we ask, Father, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, the things you've spoken to us as your word has been proclaimed this morning, I pray that you will empower us, give us the courage to do what needs to be done, that we might be peacemakers who hold a light and be a light to those around us, we pray in Jesus' name. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.